Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto seven years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the May 20th, 2022 episode of Unchained. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA, link in the description. CoinChange is the easiest way to earn passive income using crypto. You can safely deposit cash or cryptocurrencies to earn up to 20% annual yield. There is no lending or market risk, just simple, high-return yield farming. Create an account today at trydefi.cc slash unc and receive 40 USDC. That's trydefi.cc slash unc. If you're trying to break into Web3 or help build it, you'll want to come to Graph Day from June 2nd through the 5th in San Francisco. Get your ticket at thegraph.com slash graphday. Today's guest is Tasha Che founder of Tasha Labs. Welcome, Tasha. Hi, Laura. How are you? Great. So happy to have you here. This week, you wrote an epic thread on the collapse of Terra and Luna. And what you said were that there were five non-obvious lessons from this fiasco. Before we get to those, can you give people a general summary of what kind of business you think the stablecoin business actually is? So in general, I think, uh, you know, stablecoin is in the business of uh, transforming risk or volatility. So the buyer of stablecoin, you know, average users, you don't like volatility of your token prices going up and down. You prefer to hold a stable valued asset. So that's why you buy stablecoins. So basically, you sell that volatility to the stablecoin protocol and they bought the volatility and they give you this asset that promised to be always be priced at one. So it's like a in in that sense you can you can think of them as in you know a insurance business that ensuring the some kind of price stability of of your asset or you can think of them as in the banking business basically you know you deposit uh, uh, variable priced assets and uh, they give you this certificate uh meaning the stable coin that is priced at one that has uh, you know 0% uh, interest rate per se right and then uh you know, basically, you hold that certificate, and uh, it, it, it's uh, it's promised to be to be worth one dollar. So, I, I think uh, you know, when you look at stablecoin uh, protocols, uh, how they make money, right? So, where does the value added come from? Part of value added is uh, they they help they provide a service of uh, guaranteeing the stable price. So that is uh, a that that is a feature that people that is demanded in the market. That's why it has a positive value added. And also, uh, so that's also, you know, one way they can make money is, uh, you know, uh, uh, have a surcharge to charge for the service that they provide. In terms of specifically how this charge is operationally being collected, you know, whether it's through a redemption fee, whether it's through a token, 
that is served as a signing or rich equity token um, or some other mechanisms that, that specific can vary, but this is one service, value-added service they can provide. The other way they can make money is uh, obviously through some kind of uh, arbitrage of, uh, of tokens. If you deposit variable price tokens that has limited supply, so over time, you know, other things equal, those token prices should go up versus, uh, vis-a-vis U.S. dollars, which has a nominal depreciation. You can think of the, you know, nominal GDP because the money supply of U.S. dollar grows, uh, you know, broad, broadly aligned with the nominal GDP growth, which is about five, six percent a year. So you think of that uh, as a nominal depreciation against the fixed supply assets of USD token. So in that sense, over the long run, these these protocols there is a long-term arbitrage opportunity there, even if they don't do anything uh, short-term investment uh, with, with your assets. So, so that's how I look at these. Uh, you know, you can think of that as an insurance business, as a you know banking business. And in your tweet thread, you laid out what seems to be a viable scenario in which a stablecoin issuer could make money, but obviously with Terra Luna, things went wildly wrong. What do you think caused Terra Luna's downfall? Okay, so uh, this is a very interesting question because, you know, after uh, the Luna fall, a lot of people were saying, okay, under collateralized uh, stablecoin definitely do not work. Well, I think that's wrong. I think they definitely do work. Uh, why do I think so? Because they do work in real life. <laughs> um, there are about uh, 200 uh, fiat currency in the world and about 40% of them run a fixed exchange rate, either vis-a-vis US dollar or vis-a-vis a euro or a basket of the currencies. So you can think of like yeah, 30, 40% of fiat currencies in the world try to maintain a stable peg um, versus a larger fiat token. And about 30% of them are runs the so-called floating exchange rate. And the rest of them are sort of in between. So central banks usually, you know, monitor the value of their currencies, their exchange rate uh, to make sure it's stable. It fluctuates in a, you know, kind of a predefined band. But it's not like a fixed per se. But my point is, you know, a lot of the fiat currencies in the world, you can think of them as stable coins. And they are under collateralized. Why? Because you can look at foreign reserve to broad money ratios of all the fiat currencies in the world. I think on the average, it's like 35%. So it's not like uh, if you have a fixed exchange rate vis-a-vis the US dollar, for example, if you are UAE, Right. If you're uh, Panama, you, you, you run a fixed exchange rate vis-a-vis US dollar. But does that mean that every money that you issue is backed by uh, $1 of USD? No. Uh, it's about, you know, again, 35% uh, reserve to broad money ratio. That's the average. So you can say, oh, all these uh, fixed exchange rate tokens, they are under collateralized uh, stable coins. But there are some important you know, differences here. Then, you know, obviously the question is, okay, why do these work? Why, why does uh, Luna um, not work? I think the most important difference here is that does the token itself, does this currency itself have a uncorrelated demand? What was the demand for a stable asset? Um, so in fiat currencies cases, you know, every country is, uh, you can think of it as a sovereign economic system. So you have real world trade and commerce activities. Those all use the local fiat currency. So it's part of the local economic system and its demand is being supported by the real economic activities. You use these to pay transactions. Local prices are priced in local currency. 
uh, governments use these to accept tax payments and they pay their employees of public sector using their local currency. So all these activities are using the local currency as a medium exchange and a unit of account. And those are the organic natural demand for the local currency that is, uh, you know, uncorrelated with uh, the need to pack with, uh, against the U.S. dollar or, or not. So that means, you know, you have a natural floor of demand as long as the economic activities does not go to zero, which is pretty improbable. But if you look at online stablecoins, you do not have that. Luna, for example, UST is supported by the Luna token, which you can think of as the collateral asset for the UST. But, you know, Luna has a ecosystem, yes, but it's uh, very, very small compared to any of the real, real economies, uh, even the small nation states. So you, you have in the Luna ecosystem, you know, 70, 80% of the, um, you know, TVL used to be the anchor protocol, which was entirely right, riding on the UST deposit rate of being like a 20%, right? So that, that's, that's entirely tied to UST. And you also, the rest of the, uh, uh, uh ecosystem liquidity, l- a large part of it is just Luna staking, token staking. Um, and you have some DeFi protocols. But those also, you know, tend to center around the use case of Luna and UST. So the ecosystem is really is quite small. You don't have the luxury of of, uh, of a typical fiat currency being like a, um, being a, as a reserve as a asset uh, collateral asset with uncorrelated demand. Yeah, and you sort of started to hint at this, but another part of the tweet thread was that you said another lesson from this was that fast expansion without actual network effect equals, and then you put a skull and crossbones, <laughs> uh, which you were kind of implying that Anchor kind of drew a lot of people in really fast, but that it wasn't actually creating a network effect, mm-hmm. which I, you know, which also really struck me. I don't know if you wanted to add more on that. Yeah, so, so you know, um, <laughs> Back in the days, uh, you know, I put out some uh, some tweets on 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 Twitter about the sustainability of uh, uh, Luna, and then the the the, the Luna tribe uh, tried to argue with me and say, you know, look at the UST adoption growing so fast. There's a huge network effect. In my view, there's zero network effect for a stablecoin because your stablecoin is a utility product. the The entire feature of the stablecoin is to guarantee it's worth one dollar. If you take that feature away, there's nothing left. Um, so, so this is another important differentiation from from any fiat currency that runs a fixed exchange rate because you can have a fiat token. Um, you 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 can you know peg to U.S. dollar. You have a stable exchange rate. That's all well and good, but you still you are your own sovereign currency. You you the feature or the selling point of your currency is not like you're worth one dollar. The selling point is uh, you're providing a service in real economy as a medium exchange and a unit of account in your own economy. So if you cannot maintain that, if you can maintain a one dollar peg, great. If you cannot, well, that's not the end of the world. Um, you still have a economic ecosystem that runs in, on your local currency. Versus the stable coin, the entire value proposition rides on the point that you you are being worth one dollar. If you take that away, nothing is left. That's why I think it's kind of a misguided effort for a lot of, you know, algo stablecoin protocols to try to business dev their adoption, uh, try to, you know, get into more DeFi protocols to be used as collaterals or involved in DeFi borrowing and lending or to get on other chains. I think all these efforts, if your underlying collateral assets do not have a good network effect, uh, like a fiat currency does, then all most of this, these efforts will be wasted. 
because uh, if you if you lose a pack, it's like a, that's that's the game over. Yeah. So in a moment, we're going to talk about also the network effect for the reserve asset. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Graph Day will be a giant leap in the growth of Web3. Whether you're just breaking into Web3 or already building and defining it, the future will meet the present in SF, June 2nd through 5th. Come meet and party with your online friends, IRL, and hear cutting-edge developments in the Web3 stack, revealed by Web3 founders and visionaries pushing forward decentralized protocols and applications. Then, build at GraphHack, compete for over $400,000 worth of bounties, and learn best practices from top developers in the space, like Nader Dabit and Camilla Ramos. Get your ticket at thegraph.com slash graphday. It's time to bring Wall Street to Main Street. CoinChange is democratizing access to wealth management with low-risk, high-return, passive income through DeFi. It's simple. Just deposit your crypto into a CoinChange high-yield account to earn more over time. Your yield is paid out daily and can be withdrawn anytime. CoinChange's yield farming doesn't utilize lending or other risky strategies. No minimums, no obligations, just high yield. It's time for a change. Create an account today at trydefi.cc slash unc to receive 40 USDC. That's trydefi.cc slash unc. Back to my conversation with Tasha. So another point, again, that just really struck me was that you said it's a network effect for the reserve asset, in this case for Luna, not for the stablecoin itself that matters. And that to me said everything because that was precisely why Luna just plummeted the second that the peg uh, wasn't, wasn't holding because the only reason for its existence was just to try to prop up UST. But since that was already falling, there was no other reason for anybody to try to own Luna and, and frankly, hold on to it rather than sell it immediately. So yeah, yeah, which I just thought was, was so spot on. Um, but do you want to talk about that point? And then also uh, another one of your takeaways, which was you said smaller is beautiful, um, which I you know believe you were referring to just the general um, ecosystem of any particular stablecoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the network effect to me, you know, um, the closest resemblance I can think of as a typical fiat currency in the crypto world would be the, you know, blockchain fl- platforms, native token for those blockchain platforms that has a more diverse set of use cases. So I'm talking like, uh, you know, Ethereum or, um, you know, even you can include newer, newer ones, so Solana, Avalanche. These are apparently all very new, so their network effect is pretty weak. And uh, all the use cases on chain are quite quite correlated. Right now you have DeFi, you have NFT, not much at anything else, right? But you can think of these still as like an emerging economic ecosystem. My framework of looking at these uh, you know, platforms would be like uh, you know, uh, nation national economies in the metaverse. I think they're going to be, in coming years, a growth to be more com- more complex, more diversified uh, economic ecosystems that are similar, that mirrors the physical economies in in, in the nation states. So I, I think the native tokens for those would be would be a good place to start in terms of thinking of your your reserve assets. So, and if but if you're like a stable coin that you 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 have a, like a brand new reserve assets like uh, you know Frax for example, they have this um, you know. Essentially, a, a, like a, a sign your rate share token, which is a frax share. 
So, but but you think of this token, it doesn't have uh, much of an else use cases. Okay, you can use it like, a, you know, staking something in DeFi, but that's kind of a sort of a semi Ponzi ish, uh, you know, use cases. I would say, right? So, so, so then you 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 want to think about how do you how do you, how do you create a uncorrelated uncorrelated organic on chain use cases for the, these uh, collateral tokens? That you know, the network effect for those tokens are going to shore up your demand when things go haywire. So, so, so that's one. And then, uh, like you said, I also mentioned, you know, smaller is is beautiful because. You know, obviously, when you invest in any enterprise, any project, any stablecoin project, also you want you want it to be big. You want it to make as much money as possible, right? Be, to become the market leader. But this is also a kind of a special case, a special sector because it's really a crucial infrastructure in the on-chain economy for any like a blockchain platform. So you think of you know if, if you build a new layer one, what kind of key infrastructure do you need? You need a bridge, you need an AMM, and you need a stablecoin. Um, those are like a key infrastructure for 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 the on-chain like financial system to to function smoothly. So, I think you you it's already this stablecoin sector already serves a very you know systemic uh, importance uh, role in the crypto economy. On top of that, so if you if you if these protocols grow really big, and like in in the Luna case, uh, you know they they depact and uh, they don't have any lender of last resort to actually bail them out. To actually help help uh, to buy the UST, right? With uh, with the national economies uh, in in nation states, that at least you have some lender last resort of uh, you know in, in international lending facilities um, that you can you can borrow from other countries essentially <laughs> to temporarily like assure up the demand of your uh, native fiat if you have cap- uh, drastic capital flight or something. So in the uh, in the stablecoin world, you don't you don't really have that. Whether we are going to, we are, we will uh, see some something like that being like a cross protocol insurance uh, mechanism or lender of last resort uh, that is uh, private sector based. I don't know, but right now we don't. That means the bigger you are, the harder it is to find people to rescue you, <laughs> because there there are a handful of uh, the larger players uh, with uh, you know sufficient liquidity in the crypto space. You can name them. You can pretty much you know count them with your two hands, but. You know, if your if your market cap goes beyond that, if you like depass severely in, in, enough, you just really don't have people to rescue you. So I think the more he- a healthy ecosystem would be if we have a you know ten to twenty smaller, medium sized uh, stablecoin projects that they have their own pegging designs, they have their own like uh, separate uh, collateral bases. That would be a more resilient uh, ecosystem compared to what we have now, which you have USDT, USDC, and the third one used to be UST. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think uh, this is something for also for the blockchain platforms themselves to think of. Obviously, like protocols like Near, they're already you know doing that. Though I don't know if their motivation is uh, is uh, as I described. But if I were a layer one protocol. This will be something that I will build, or at least collaborate with some projects to build on my platform as a sort of a semi-public good because this is like basic in- infrastructure. It's not necessarily I will I would necessarily need this stablecoin protocol to to be super big, but you know it provides a key service on my platform. That's all. So I think a smaller uh, smaller in size, uh, you, you that in itself has a you know more more resilience built in. 
And so at the moment, the Terra community is voting on a proposal put forward by Do Kwan, the co-founder of Terraform Labs, in which he would like to fork the chain and call the original chain Terra Classic and basically give various um, people who held either Luna or Terra previously um, new tokens. What do you think of that plan? And also just in general, what do you think would be the best way for Terra to move forward? Oh, um, I do not. I do not have the answer for Terra. <laughs> Basically, I. But but the thing is, uh, if you, um, uh, well, you can argue. Okay, you have name brand name recognition. Though right now, you know how much the brand equity is worth, whether it's positive value or negative value, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, uh, and you also have a community of people, right? Though, like uh, a lot of people are pretty grudgy, like right now, pretty angry, right? So. If you have a new, um, if you want to build a new stable coin, you you probably want to like uh, over collateralize it, go with the you know more of a die model, for example, basically to make sure that the probability of this thing goes unpack is uh, extremely extremely small. If they want to revive the thing, I don't, I don't, I have no idea about the prospect of uh, how successful that will be. And you mentioned Frax Finance earlier. Um, but given everything that you've said, which stablecoins are you excited about? <laughs> I'm I'm excited about the USDC. <laughs> I I you know uh, for you the, you you can argue okay centralized it can scale um you know confiscation risk uh, so on and so forth but you know as as at least it's backed by actual U.S. dollar cash <laughs> or liquid U.S. dollar assets. So um, it, you, it, utility-wise, uh, you, you should, you know, the pack should stay, you know. So um, if, if we're talking about stablecoin as a utility product, then this product fulfills its utility pretty well. So um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, stable algo stablecoins, uh, I think people are... There, there are different designs. Uh, people are exploring different mechanisms, but I think there has been some consensus emerging that you need some kind of collateral. It cannot be just a, a dynamic uh, adjustment, uh, uh, you know, scheme like uh, like Luna. Uh-huh. So, um, <laughs> the Frax that I mentioned, they, they, they're one model, which is, uh, if you think about it, it's it's kind of like a fiat currency that runs a pegged exchange rate because you 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 are collateralized you know fiat currency they have foreign reserves that they can use to open market operation to defend their currency so in frax case it's uh, usdc right so um it has foreign assets it's uh, the percentage of foreign assets should be pretty high uh, the rest of your collateral does not have a uh, you know uh, does not have a uh, un- uncorrelated uh, demand on chain right now so i think uh, if you have a collateral token that has a strong network effect. Um, the the stronger it is, uh, the lower your 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 reserve ratio can be. As I said, the median reserve ratio for fiat currencies are 35 percent. All right. Well, I guess this brings us to the last point that you made in your tweet thread, which is you said regulatory standards are a nuisance until they're not. So, what do you think will happen regulatory? Uh, wise now that Terra Luna has imploded? And how do you think that will affect the growth of the stablecoin space from here on out? Obviously, I'm not a government, so I cannot say what governments are thinking. So, But I think uh, the trend is uh, it's drawing a lot of attention, right? So 
um, especially for in the countries that issue the fiat currency that uh, stable coins are packed on, <laughs> meaning U.S. United States. Uh, the regulators, uh, you know, should be thinking pretty hard about how, how to regulate this. And the frameworks they would use, you know, like we mentioned at the beginning, you can think of these businesses uh, um, as a similar business model as insurance or banking. So I think uh, regulatory frameworks in those sectors uh, should, should at least uh, lend some uh, viewpoints to, to the regulations of stable coins. The other thing is... Um, there is also, you know, uh, when, when I say regulatory standards, it doesn't necessarily have to come from government, right? So the other day I posted on Twitter um, that, you know, I, I think a stablecoin industry can use something like a Basel Agreement. So if people are not familiar with the Basel Agreement in international banking, it's basically a multilateral cross-country kind of uh, uh, standard, banking standard, uh, set up in the 1980s after a bunch of uh, banking crisis in the 70s in multiple countries. So, you know, the Basel Agreement is like, it has a set of standards, you know, as a bank, your, your, your capital ratio should be this much, your leverage ratio should be this much, your liquidity ratio, so on and so forth, right? But, but Basel itself does not have any regulatory authority. So it's not like, uh, as a country's, uh, you know, uh, financial regulator has the legal mandate to actually enforce any of this. It's just a, you know, international agreement. Um, it's a, it's a best practice. If you want to join, great. If you don't want to join, nobody is forcing you. So, but if you join, you know, uh, this, this is a, you know, brownie point on your reputation, obviously as a bank, right? So, um, it can facilitate, uh, it can, it can help if you, if you, uh, uh, you know, comply with the Basel agreement, um, you know, other, other banks who do the same look at you favorably, they're more inclined to do business with you and you have more, you know, confidence uh, among your users. So again, this is all voluntary set up as a multilateral, you know, agreement to preserve the reputation of the industry, essentially. Okay. So it's a public good that is uh, not like uh, legally enforced or enforced by, uh, you know, any country's uh, uh, regulatory regimes. So I think something similar will be, you know, really useful uh, for for the stablecoin industry. Something that you know, uh, cross different protocols, uh, um, you know, come together to think about what would be the standards that that the industry should abide by. You know, without uh, having any like a legal enforcement or outside uh, regulators coming to regulation uh, threat, you uh, bang on your head. Yeah, some kind of mandate. Yeah, I totally agree. I and and by the way, people definitely should check out this thread. And um, you might have even put it into a post, I believe, or at least some. I feel like I saw a post <laughs> on this. Um, but you have a newsletter. Do you want to tell people where people can find that? Yeah, sure. Just go to tashalabs.com/newsletter. Uh, uh, it's a free newsletter. I put out uh, you know industry analysis and Web three outlook um, to give people an edge. Um, and to make people smarter about this industry, it's totally free. It's just that I enjoy doing that. So Great. Well, it's been so much fun having you on Unchained. Thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be here. Thank you. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. 
download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. Terra struggles to revive amidst infighting and regulatory pressure. In the wake of UST's collapse, the Terra Luna community sought a way forward even as it demanded more details on what happened to the Luna Foundation Guard's $3 billion crypto reserve, and as regulators came knocking. Terraform Labs co-founder Do Kwan made two proposals to revive the chain. Both were massively criticized by the community, and even by big names like Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin and Binance CEO Chengpeng Zhao. Do Kwan's third proposal consisted of forking Terra into a new chain without an algorithmic stablecoin. The idea is to rename the current chain Terra Classic and the current native token as Loon C, Luna Classic. The new chain, Quan proposes, would be called Terra with the native token Luna. The new chain would have 1 billion Luna tokens and would be airdropped across Luna and Classic stakers, Luna Classic holders, residual UST holders, and essential app developers of Terra Classic. The proposal was put out for an on-chain vote on Wednesday. As of press time Thursday afternoon, it seems it is going to pass, as it has the support of Terraform Labs and Terra Builders Alliance, a community of developers and builders within the Terra ecosystem. However, some validators are not fans. All Node CEO Konstantin Boyko Romanovsky said to the block, The whole governance process of this proposal looks like a dictatorship model. It looks like the launch of the new chain is decided even before voting is finished. As for the $3 billion in Bitcoin reserves, the Luna Foundation Guard, which was in charge of defending the UST peg with the Bitcoin, finally shed some light on what happened. According to an announcement on Twitter, when UST started depegging, LFG said it converted the 80,000 Bitcoins, or $3.1 billion, in its reserve to UST to defend the peg. After the massive sell-off, it was left with a reserve of 313 Bitcoin, or $8 million. According to Elliptic, a blockchain analytics company, 52,000 Bitcoins were moved into Gemini and the remaining 28,000 were moved into Binance. However, Tom Robinson, co-founder of Elliptic, said to Coindesk that beyond that, we can't really see how it's been used. In other related Terra news, South Korean authorities are now investigating the Terra collapse. A specialized financial crimes unit called Grim Reaper will look into the methods Terraform Labs used to attract investors. Kwan has been charged with tax evasion and faces a penalty of 100 billion won, or $78.5 million, for failing to pay corporate and income tax. The Terraform Labs legal team resigned shortly after the crash, making these issues harder for Kwan to navigate. Tether releases its long-awaited attestation report. On Thursday, Tether, or USDT, the world's largest U.S. dollar stablecoin, released its first attestation report in six months. After the UST chaos, this report was highly anticipated, as investors have been cashing out of stablecoins, with USDT supply dropping $7 billion in the past few days alone. Tether reported a reduction in its commercial paper holdings by 17% from December 2021 through March 2022, from $24.2 billion to $19.9 billion. USDT has a market cap of $74 billion and is fully backed, according to the attestation made by accountancy firm MHA Cayman, 
which reported that USDT is backed by assets that amounted to at least $83 billion. This latest attestation further highlights that Tether is fully backed and that the composition of its reserves is strong, conservative, and liquid, said Paolo Arduino, the CTO of Tether, in a statement. As promised, it demonstrates a commitment by the company to reduce its commercial paper investments. In other stablecoin news, Day, an algorithmic stablecoin from the DeFi protocol Deuce Finance, lost its peg against the dollar this week. Day is now trading around 60 cents, according to CoinMarketCap, after hitting a low of 51.7 cents on Monday. Chinese Bitcoin miners are back. According to new data from the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance, or CCAF, China has reclaimed its place as a Bitcoin mining world leader. Even after a ban that prohibited crypto trading and mining in China last year, the Asian country is now the second largest producer of hash rate. The data was disclosed in the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index, or CBECI, whose goal is to map mining activity around the world based on the geolocational data reported by mining pools. In December 2021, China accounted for 21.1% of the global hash rate, with that figure dropping to 0% after the ban, as was shown by previous data from Cambridge. Web3 wallets had a big week. Robinhood, one of the biggest stock trading platforms in the U.S., said it plans to develop a new non-custodial mobile wallet for Web3. According to the company's blog, customers will be able to hold the keys for their own crypto and access dApps to trade and swap crypto with no network feeds, store NFTs and connect to NFT marketplaces, earn yield using their assets, and access a variety of crypto assets. Robinhood's wallet will begin testing this summer and has a waitlist for early access. The company intends to have the product available for all its customers by the end of this year. Coinbase also announced the release of a Web3 wallet. Selected customers will have the ability to access Web3 decentralized applications directly from the Coinbase app. Users will be able to buy and hold NFTs, trade on DEXs, and even use some of the major DeFi platforms like Compound and Curve to borrow, lend, and swap tokens. Notably, Coinbase users will be able to explore decentralized applications without having to manage a recovery phrase. Multi-party computation technology allows this innovative experience and enables users to have a dedicated on-chain wallet that Coinbase helps keep secured. Crypto adoption ramps up. Cloudflare announced plans to run and fully stake Ethereum validator nodes, making it the first publicly traded company to make such a move, according to Evan Van Ness. Over the next few months, Cloudflare will launch and fully stake Ethereum validator nodes on the Cloudflare global network as the community approaches its transition from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake with the merge, the company said in its announcement. It added, this is just the start of our commitment to help the next generation of Web3 networks. Additionally, Spotify will start testing NFTs on its platform, according to a report by Music Ally. Spotify will test NFTs with select users based in the U.S., and NFTs will appear under the artist's songs and albums, but users will need to go to an external marketplace to make their purchase. Here's another reminder, not your keys, not your coins. In light of Coinbase's announcement that the exchange would retain user assets in the event of a bankruptcy, officials from Joe Biden's administration are pressing Congress to demand cryptocurrency exchanges keep their customers' money separate from corporate funds. Don't think you actually own your tokens when you go into a digital wallet, said SEC Chair Gary Gensler.
However, Gus Coldabella, partner at True Ventures, tweeted that the Biden administration's logic gets a lot wrong. Coldabella thinks the problem is how bankruptcy law treats exchange wallets. For this reason, a legitimate fix that forces cryptocurrency exchanges to keep their customers' money separate from their own corporate funds is no fix at all. It's not the source of the problem, and it doesn't solve the legal issue, he wrote. On a related note, SEC Chair Gary Gensler testified before the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Financial Services and General Government this week and asked for a bigger budget to control the crypto space. Two other regulation-adjacent stories caught my attention. Reuters reported that finance ministers from G7 countries are calling for more crypto legislation. In light of the recent turmoil in the crypto asset market, the G7 urges the FSB, or Financial Stability Board, to advance the swift development and implementation of consistent and comprehensive regulation, the ministers wrote in the draft document. TRM Labs, a blockchain analytics company, launched a platform for users to report crypto scams and other illicit activity. TRM is currently using raw data from the blockchain to create insights to investigate crypto frauds and financial crimes. For more info on TRM Labs, subscribe to my premium bulletin newsletter, where I did an exclusive interview with Ari Redboard, CEO. Testing, testing. Ethereum Merge's biggest test is set for June. Ethereum's main public testnet, Robston, is set to go through the merge in June. Merging Robston is a huge testing milestone toward Ethereum's main net merge, which is projected to happen in a few months. The merge is the most anticipated event of the year in the Ethereum ecosystem. At that time, the Ethereum mainnet will transition from the proof-of-work consensus mechanism to proof-of-stake. Even though there is no exact data date set for the merge, Ethereum core developer Preston Van Loon hinted on Twitter that it would happen sometime this year. Time for fun bits. Hmm, nobody has any Luna. Apparently, the only ones that lost millions of dollars in the Terra Luna fiasco were retail investors. According to some tweets and press releases, major VC firms and investment funds have confirmed that they had no or very little exposure to Luna. Among these companies are Pantera Capital, Galaxy Digital, Multicoin, Dragonfly, Framework, and Onjuno, which, disclosure, is a sponsor of my shows. On Wednesday, after saying nothing for more than 10 days, Galaxy Digital CEO Mike Novogratz broke his silence. He said Galaxy has no exposure to algorithmic stablecoins. This is coming from a man who has a tattoo of the Luna token on his arm. He said, my tattoo will be a constant reminder that venture investing requires humility. On the latest episode of The Chopping Block, Dragonfly's Hasib Qureshi said he wasn't inclined to believe all these stories. Everyone I talk to says they are okay. Somebody must be lying, he said, laughing. In agreement with Hasib, Kevin Zhou, the Chopping Block guest, added, There is no way that's true, but what would be even more harrowing is that if it was true, it would mean that the insiders dumped on retail and got out unscratched. Eventually, a few companies admitted to having exposure to Luna. Delphi Digital said on Thursday it has a large unrealized loss, and Hashed Wallet a venture fund sold $3.5 billion, according to on-chain data. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Tasha, stablecoins, and the Terra Luna fallout, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Mark Murdoch, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. <laughs>